Amazing story. We love to celebrate life change here at the church. Well, as Cherie said, happy Palm Sunday. And again, for those of you who don't know, today we celebrate Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And I just wanna encourage and challenge you today as individuals, as couples, and if you have kids, especially as a family, to take some time this week to read about this story and to read all the way through leading up to Easter, read about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And, and here's why. This is something that as a family, we uh, a couple years ago started to do with our kids as a way for them to understand why we celebrate and why we honor and why we follow this son of God named Jesus. And I don't say that braggadociously, like I'm the dad that's got it all together. I can tell you, uh, I would, well, I would love to tell you that my kids are perfect, but I gotta tell y'all, we did two days of Easter clothes shopping, and I can tell you with three girls and my wife, my family is far from perfect. And so if you saw us out at the malls and maybe you saw me a little less than being holy or pastoral, I apologize for things I said and looks I gave. So, um, but it's something that's been good for our family because I want my kids not just to read about Jesus, but I want them to understand. And when we have holidays and celebrations, I want them to know why we celebrate. And so I'm gonna give you the chapters and, and I want you this week, sometime, you don't have to do it all at once, but throughout the week, whether it's at, at dinner, maybe it's at bedtime in the morning, hey, as a family, read this together. If you don't have any kids and you got somebody that you love in your life, do it as a couple. If you're by yourself and you're single, do it by yourself. But I'm telling you, this will impact and make your Easter more special if you do it. So read starting in Matthew chapter 21, read through chapter 28. I know that's a lot of chapters, but I'm telling you, if you'll do that and you'll allow the word of God to start seeping into your life, it's gonna change the way that you view Easter and the way that you celebrate. And you're gonna realize that Easter isn't just a time where we get dressed up in our fancy clothes and it's not about an Easter bunny and eggs, nothing wrong with that. But there's a reason that we celebrate and there's a reason that we serve this guy called Jesus. And so I would encourage you to read that. But before we get to Easter and before the seed of salvation was ever planted in the earth, there was work that Jesus did. And so I wanna go a little ways back in Jesus's ministry today. And I wanna look at a teaching that he gave to a group of people just like this. And in the nature of this story, we're gonna see the hearts of people and we're also gonna see the goodness of God. That in spite of some struggles and pains and problems that we may have, we serve a God who is faithful to continue to pour out into our lives. And the reason that I wanna focus on this particular passage of scripture today is because I believe that on the inside of every single one of us is greatness. You may not know it. You may not even know why you came today. Maybe for some of you, you're just trying to look for purpose or understand why you're here. Maybe today was the last chance you were willing to give God to show you something in your life. And I just wanna tell some people today that you were created on purpose, for a purpose, that God has placed something on the inside of you that he wants to do great things through your life and in your life. And I'm gonna show you today that it's not just so that you can be blessed, but so that you can bless other people. 
Amen. And I've come to realize, I've come to realize that for a lot of people, the reason that we don't experience the fullness of everything that God has for us and the reason that some of us have potential on the inside but it never becomes realized isn't because it's not there, but it's because for a lot of us, we are unwilling to put in the work to see it come to fruition. And so this morning, we're gonna go to work and I'm gonna put you to work so that you can realize everything that God has in your life. And the title of my message today is Laying the Groundwork for Greatness. Would you pray with me as I pray for you? We're gonna dive into God's word together. Dear Holy Father, I just thank you so much for this moment and this time that we get to receive from you. I pray right now, God, help me to speak what I hear you saying, and I pray that their hearts would be open to receive it. God, I pray that you would grant them understanding. And Lord, most of all, I pray that they would walk away believing because there is a community that needs you. And Lord, we wanna be used mightily and greatly in this hour and in this season. So use this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I'm gonna be reading out of Matthew chapter 13, and I'm gonna start with verse one to kind of set the tone for, for where Jesus is. It says that that same day, Jesus went out of the house and he was sitting beside the Sea of Galilee. But such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat there positioning himself as a teacher while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Can I tell you something that if I didn't read any other scripture to you, I just read something that could change the community, that could change our church, that could change your life, that could change this nation, is found in this scripture right here, that when Jesus shows up, the people will come. Can I tell you something? We live in a day and age where it is time to put Jesus back at the forefront of every single thing that we do. Because when Jesus shows up on the scene, that's where healing takes place. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, that's where reconciliation takes place. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, that's when prodigal sons and daughters come home. Because Jesus showing up changes everything. And for so many of us, we get caught up in seeking the idea of revival and seeking goosebumps while we're sitting in service and paying attention to the lights and the sound and the pretty images instead of putting all of our focus and our attention on him. When I first got into ministry, I worked at a church called Redemption to the Nations. And uh, this was a, now a large church, but at the time it was in a, a growing season. It was the first place that I ever worked in ministry. And when I first started serving there, uh, and I believe probably to this day, they would always start all of their worship services the same exact way. After they had sung maybe one song, they would invite everybody down to the front to begin to pray. Okay, now there they would call it the altar, but I don't want to freak any of you out. No animals were harmed, okay? All right. It was a place where they could come and worship and offer up praise to God. And they would do it because it was a way to set their hearts and their minds, their focus and their expectation on Jesus. And to say, Jesus, whatever you wanna do today, we're just open. Jesus, however you wanna move today, we're available. Jesus, whatever you wanna do in the hearts of your people, we're asking you to show up and to move. 
And we would do that week after week. And this was a Pentecostal church, okay? So in a Pentecostal church, it's not like an hour and you're out. It's like an hour and you're getting started, okay? And then maybe you go another hour, and if the spirit breaks out, maybe it's another hour and a half, and, you know, babies would just sit back there for three, four, it just would go on forever, okay? And this is how we would do it. We would go home, eat a little bit, take a nap, and come back for Sunday night church, and one week we come back and, and it's, it's kind of service as usual. We, we, we come in, the song happens and they invite everybody down to pray and to begin to seek Jesus at a Sunday night church. And if you've ever been to Sunday night church, it's not quite as full as Sunday morning, all right? It's the faithful few that show up for Sunday night church. And we began to pray and there, were, there was a, a special speaker that was there that night and they, they started praying and he started preaching and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just breaks out in that place. I don't know any other way to ex explain it except that God began to move in ways that none of us could articulate. And it was out of that moment that revival in Chattanooga was birthed. And it may have not got the media attention that Asbury and all these other things got, but night after night, we watched as God moved and as people got saved and as people got healed. Why? Because our attention and our focus was on Jesus. And we said, whatever you wanna do, have your way in this place. And can I tell you something? This went on for months and months and months. There was no plan. There was no process. The pastor would get up and he'd say, I heard the Lord say, we're gonna do this again tomorrow night. Some people cannot imagine coming to church two weeks in a row, let alone every night for months and months on end. But I believe the reason that that church is reaching and influencing people the way that they are today can be traced back to that moment where they said, Jesus, we place you first and we're gonna seek you because you are the king of all and we are asking you to move in our midst. And can I tell some of you, I am hungry to see God move in Houston. Every empty seat in this room is an opportunity for lives to be changed for the kingdom of God. But it's not gonna happen just because the staff prays. It's not gonna happen just because Mark and Laura want it. It's gonna happen when the church decides as a body of believers that we're gonna be in unity and say, Jesus, whatever you wanna do, we're ready, we're open. We are placing you first in every area of our lives. Because when we do that, people show up and lives are ultimately changed. Now let's look at what Jesus says because now he's out on the boat and the people have showed up. And I love the fact that Jesus, who, who was there when the earth was formed, understands the, the little intricacies of how our earth works. And so he understood that by going out on the boat in the water, this would amplify his voice like an amphitheater so that his words would go to all of the people. And this is what Jesus said. He said, he told them many parables saying, listen carefully, a sower went out to sow seed in his field. And as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road between the fields and the birds came and they ate it. And other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And at once they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Another seed fell on good soil and yielded grain, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and heed my words. 
On the outside looking in, this could appear like Jesus is just preaching a little simple message. He's using the illustration, talking about seeds and farming. But the truth is that what Jesus is walking people through is the hearts and the posture of people's hearts and the goodness of God and how he pours out into those hearts. And in just a little bit, I'm gonna take you through each one of these types of soil, and I'm gonna show you how it is a progression ultimately to what Jesus has commanded us to do, which is to be fruitful and multiply. But before we get there, the disciples are a little bit confused. I love the fact that Jesus chose people that didn't know it all. They didn't all have degrees. They weren't all the smartest people in the room. They were everyday people that chose to follow him. And along the way, they didn't always get it right. They didn't always understand everything that he was teaching. And so they asked him, they said, Jesus, why are you preaching in stories? Why are you telling these parables? Why can't you just tell people like it is? And Jesus gives an explanation that I believe gives us insight into the problem that is facing our generation today. Check this out. He said in verse 11, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has spiritual wisdom because he is receptive to God's word, to him more will be given and he will be richly and abundantly supplied. But whoever does not have spiritual wisdom because he has devalued God's word, even what he has will be taken away. This is the reason I speak to the crowds in parables, because while having the power of seeing, they do not see. And while having the power of hearing, they don't understand, they don't grasp these spiritual things. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says you will hear and keep on hearing, but never understand. And you will look and keep on looking, but never comprehend. For this nation's heart has grown hard, and with their ears they hardly hear, and they have tightly closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, and they would hear with their ears, and they would understand with their heart, and they would turn to me, they would repent, and I would heal them spiritually. You know, when I I hear this scripture, This is where I think we find ourselves today. It is impossible to go on social media, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, whatever the case may be, and not be able to come across the word of God. A preacher telling you something, somebody who's decided because they read the scripture of the day, they've got a word for everybody to tell you this revelation that God has given them. You can find the word everywhere. So I have to believe that the problems that we face today aren't because the word's not out there. It can't be because as people were driving, they don't see churches everywhere. You didn't drive here today without passing 100,000 different churches as you got here today. So I know they've gotta see what God is doing and seeing people show up to church. So why are they not grasping? Why are we not seeing more people believe? Why are we not seeing more people changed? And I believe it's because even though they hear it, they don't understand it. And because they can't understand it, they they refuse to believe it. And I just wonder how differently our lives would look if we didn't just hear God's word, 
but we actually believed God's word. Like if you actually believe the songs that you sing on Sunday about the king of glory coming in and filling this place, like if you actually believe that the king of glory who created the universe was gonna just show up in this room and do what he wanted to do, what would our worship look like? If we actually believed that God was a healer and a provider, how different would our prayers look? If we actually believed that heaven was real and oh, hell was real, how differently would our lives look and how much more would we pursue those that are far away from him? Some of us have read the word of God, but we are not living a life that would tell others, I actually believe the pages as they're written. And can I tell you something? If we wanna see revival break out in this church, if we wanna see lives change, if we wanna see hearts healed, it is going to take us believing what the word of God says and living it out in every aspect of our lives. When I read about this, I kind of think about my own life and that I would show up to church every single week. I was a pastor's kid, so I had to be there all the time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening, when the church had to be clean, when it had to be opened up. I was there all the time. And yet, just showing up to church was not enough. It wasn't that I wasn't hearing what my dad was preaching. I didn't wanna hear it half the time, but I, I was hearing it. I just didn't believe any of it. And it wasn't until I got to the place where I was going through a battle of depression. I don't know any other way to explain it. And here's the deal. Depression is bad in itself, but it's even worse when it's of your own making and your own, your own bad decisions and your own mistakes. And I was in a bad place. And I got so broken and so lonely and so depressed that I started to do three things. I would only do three things. I guess maybe four. I would work out all the time, I would read God's word, I would pray, and I would listen to preaching. That was all that I did. I didn't go out with my friends. I'm not telling you this is how you should live your life. I'm just telling you what I did. And in those moments, God became real to me. His word came alive to me. And I realized that my hope was not gonna be found in any of the other things I had been chasing after. But that when I really got deep into his word and allowed that to root in my life, that was the moment that I began to operate in everything that God had for me. And I think for a lot of us, we show up to church, we hear for 30 minutes, and then we just go about our lives because this is just another box that we've checked off. And I think Jesus is illustrating that here, that there are many that hear, that there are many that see, but most refuse to believe. So Jesus doesn't leave his disciples hanging. He begins to break down this word. And I wanna break this down and I wanna go through each type of, of heart that he goes through. This is what he says. Because they've asked now, Jesus, what does this actually mean? And he says this in verse 18. He said, listen then to the meaning of the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom regarding salvation and does not understand and grasp it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. So what Jesus is describing here is basically a path. Now this may shock some of you, but I am not actually a farmer, okay? Don't let, the, don't let my outfit fool you. I don't spend a lot of time 
outside in dirt, okay? All right? But I grew up in a farm place, okay? I went to a school called, this is irrelevant, but I'm just gonna tell you. I grew up in a place called Zealand High School, and I kid you not, our mascot, well, we were called the Chicks, okay? C-H-I-X, and our mascot was a buff chicken, okay, because it was farmers, okay. Anyway, that was, scratch that, that wasn't important. I don't know why I told you that, but anyway, so you have some context, okay? And, and out there, there's all these fields, but among the fields are these paths. These are the common places that people go. There are a lot of people that, that are on this path. They show up to church for a few minutes. They hear the word of God. Maybe they feel good in the moment. But then, like I said, they go back to their lives where the seed is getting stolen. And so I was thinking about this, and I thought, man, how, how would this work in our modern context? How could I illustrate this for you? And I was thinking about how we'll show up to church on Sunday and we'll hear a message. And man, it just fills us with joy. We just feel so good about it. But then all of a sudden, it's like we can't help ourselves. And so we just go on social media as soon as we leave here because we want to see what other people are doing. And all of a sudden, we read about all the bad things that are happening in the world. Oh my gosh, if God is good, how could any of this have happened? And all of a sudden, that joy you experienced 10 minutes ago is gone. Some of us still, we come in and our lives are a wreck, but just being in church fills us with peace. And we just hear a message that we're ready to go and conquer and fight the world, right? We go out and then again, we can't help ourselves. So we just start scrolling through social media and all of a sudden that family member that you know has been talking about you and all of a sudden you see them spreading all kinds of nonsense online and your peace is gone. And you are immediately filled with anger and rage, not because somebody did something to you, but because of something that you read online. Others still, you come into church and that worship song hits and you just start crying because you're just thinking about the goodness of God. Oh God, I'm so blessed. You know who you are, come on. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, mascara's running all over, you know, hoping the cameraman comes and gets it while you're in that moment, you know. No, that's none of you. All right, so you, you, you're there and, and oh, you're just thinking about the blessings of God. But then all of a sudden, you jump online and you start to see what other people have. And all of a sudden, your house doesn't seem as nice. Your car seems like a piece of junk, even though it's only a year old. Your kids are bratty looking at everybody else's. And then all of a sudden, that feeling of blessing that you felt is gone. And do you know why that is for most of us? Because for many of us, when we come into church on Sunday, that is the only word from God we will receive during the week. We think that 30 minutes is enough to withstand and deal with all of the pressures that come from a 24-hour news cycle and nonstop social media, nonstop opinions and nonstop unrest and nonstop issues and problems in the world. And I have come to find out that if we are not rooted in the truth of God's word, we will begin to fall for counterfeit ones. And I've got a word for somebody today that keeps coming in and you feel good in the moment, but you are losing your peace. It is because you are taking opinions that do not matter. And if you just begin to shut them out and say, God, I'm gonna start living my life according to what you said, that's the place that you begin to experience change. So Jesus continues on, and he says, now the one on whom seed was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and at once welcomes it with joy, 
Yet he has no substantial root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when pressure or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he stumbles and falls away, abandoning the one who is the source of salvation. If I can be transparent, if I can be real with you, this is the place I feel like I struggle the most. Because this is the place where we feel good about who Jesus has called us to be. And man, we're doing our best to serve him. But all of a sudden, problems start to creep up in our lives. And without realizing it, when we have undealt with issues and problems and persecutions, it's as if somebody has opened up our heart and started piling in little rocks. Sometimes it starts off as a small offense, but if it's undealt with, it grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until maybe some of God's word gets through. But after a while, it gets choked out because of the issues that are brought upon us as we're trying to serve him. I don't know where we got this mindset in our modern Christian understanding where we think that because we start following Jesus, that means we're not gonna have any issues or problems. The truth of the matter is, if you start serving Jesus, that means you become an enemy to the kingdom of darkness. That means you become a threat and a problem to the devil. And so I don't know why we would think if we started serving Jesus, that doesn't mean that the enemy is not gonna try to throw everything he can at us to try to eliminate the word that God has placed on the inside of us. I, in fact, can trace back to the very moment that for myself, this was an issue. And to other people, it would seem trivial, it would seem small. And one of the things that God has really helped me with over the years is just because it may seem like a small issue to other people doesn't mean that it's not a big deal to God. When I was in high school, I loved the game of basketball, okay? I was a basketball junkie. And since fifth grade, I had made the determination that I was gonna become a professional basketball player. I was gonna play in the NBA. Some of you laughed when I said that, and that was hurtful, so now I have another stone. Just kidding. Just kidding, I have another stone in my heart. I'll deal with it later. But I believed that. I believed it with all my heart, right? Because I had, I, I had influences in my life that would say, hey, if you just work hard enough, you can do anything you wanna do. That's not true. I was, I was never gonna be tall enough. I was never gonna be able to jump high enough. Now, I'm not saying I was a bad basketball player. I played on the traveling teams. I was a starter. I was a good ball player. I just wasn't a great ball player. And when I got to high school, I started having some issues with the coach. I didn't like the coach. And as it turns out, he also did not like me. And my parents didn't like the coach. And as it turns out, he didn't like them. I got any hover parents in the room? No, y'all gonna keep your hands down for that one. That's okay. My parents were hover parents. And so words were said, tried to deal with the issues. Well, I was going through tryouts and I thought everything was going good. In my mind, I was dominating everyone. I don't know if they were filming it, but if so, I'm sure it's used to teach younger ball players how to be great. And so I went through all of this, but because I had had words with the coach and, and because I didn't like the coach and he didn't like me, when I went in, when they're telling the players who made it and who didn't make it, you know what they told me? They said, we're cutting you from the team. And I can't tell you what that did to me. 
because my identity had been wrapped up in something that really didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but to me, it was everything. And in that moment, bitterness started to seep into my life. I started saying words. I was a pastor's kid, and I was actually one of the decent ones for a while. And all of a sudden, I got cut from that team, and words came out of my mouth that were not a blessing to my enemy. You know what I'm saying? It's just flowing out of me. And after a while, the pain and the bitterness of that one moment started to turn to other things. And you know what I've figured out about people who are hurt and have undealt with issues? Usually it's not enough for them to hurt because after a while, those stones that they have in their life, they begin to want to hurl them at other people because hurt people hurt people. And for a lot of people, it's not enough to be miserable by themselves. They wanna bring everybody else into their misery. And when I had all of this pain and all of this hurt, all of a sudden, I would start going to my friend's games and I would start rooting for them to lose. It gave me great joy when our team lost. And after that, it wasn't enough just to have joy that my basketball team was losing. All of a sudden, I would get excited when people would get cut from teams. And I would get excited when our other teams would lose. And I would, I would get excited when my friends would have issues and my friends would have problems. Some of y'all looking at me like I'm crazy and you know you do the same exact thing. I had all of this undealt with anger and bitterness and it would haunt me for years and it would cause much of what God had on the inside of me to be stifled all because I didn't know how to deal with it. And it was not until I got to the place where I got on my knees and I began to give God things one by one. God, I repent because I was this way and I'm sorry for this hurt. And God, I need you to remove this pain and I need you to remove this bitterness. And I'm not telling you that it got better overnight. I'm telling you it was a process. And until I started dealing with those things, God couldn't use me the way he wanted to use me. I was never destined to be a basketball player. God had anointed me to be a preacher. I just wasn't aware of it yet. And so God had to bring me through some things so I could get through a, to a season of fruitfulness. But before I could see the fruit on the tree, I had to deal with the issues that were choking out the root of the tree. So Jesus continues on still. After he's talked about the birds that have come and taken, and he's talked about the rocks, now we deal with the issue that nobody wants to talk about, but I'm gonna talk about it today. In verse 22, it says, and the one on whom seed was sown among thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the worries and distractions of the world and the deceitfulness, the superficial pleasures and delight of riches choke the word and it yields no fruit. A lot of us are so led by our feelings that we make momentary decisions that have eternal consequences. When Jesus begins talking about the thorns in our life, he's talking about sin. And can I let you in on a secret that like nobody in church wants to tell you? Sin is fun. Yeah, you can, it's okay. You, can, you know it's true. It's pleasing in the moment. If sin wasn't fun, if sin wasn't attractive, if sin didn't make me feel good, nobody would be tempted to do it. 
But the problem is, the longer you let little sins into your life, after a while, it grows into something that will begin to cut you and begin to hurt you and begin to keep you from everything that God has and wants to do in your life. And a lot of us don't understand that we're making decisions today that will affect us forever. Can I tell you, as somebody who was a sinner who is now saved, I wish I had some leaders in my life. Not my parents, because I didn't want to listen to them. But I wish I had some leaders in my life who loved me enough to talk to me about my foolishness and to call my butt on the carpet for some of the sins that were in my life because they led me down pathways that hurt far worse than momentary words from people who claimed they loved me. After Jesus gets through all of this, we finally get to the last set of soil. It says in verse 23, and the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, grasps it. He indeed bears fruit and yields some 100 times, some 60 times, and some 30. This is the goal. And you know where we make a, a mistake a lot in church is we just tell you to go over here, but we never tell you how to deal with stuff along the way to actually get there and be successful. And a lot of times, even if we manage to make it here, a lot of us assume that the point of being in good soil is just to collect more seeds. Oh, give me another word. Play all the music songs that I like because the worship's, I mean, it's kind of about God, but it's really more about what I like and how loud I like it or how loud I don't like it. And turn those lights down because it's, it's, it's killing my vibe and my mood this Sunday morning. And, and, and oh man, I gotta go to a small group just so you know I can hear, hear some more so I can consume more of the word and so I can have more. But that's not what Jesus tells us this soil is for. He says that it is to bear fruit and it yields sometimes 100, sometimes 60, and some 30. Can I tell you, we don't get to the good soil so that we can consume more. It's so that we can produce more because there are people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And the reason that he plants seed on the inside of us is so that when it is birthed, when it grows, it is so that we in turn can pour that seed out into other people. That's the purpose of this soil. But for a lot of us, we get stuck in different conditions. Some of us today, we're in the consumer position. Some of us, we got all kinds of sin in our lives. We think nobody knows. We don't know how to get out of it. We don't know how to deal with it. So we'll just keep faking it and hoping that nobody ever actually sees it. For some of us, we've got worries and pains and hurts that have piled up to the point where we can't even get a good breath when we wake up because we are so worried about the next shoe that's gonna drop. And for others of us, our, our relationship with God is so shallow that every single word from every blue check in the world comes along and it is stealing my joy, it's stealing my peace, it is stealing the word that I know that God has for me. So how do we get to here? Well, for most of us, the reason that we struggle to get to here is because we're not ready to put in the work. Because the truth of the matter is, if we're gonna see true fruitfulness 
we gotta be willing to lift some heavy things. We gotta be willing to deal with some things that other people don't wanna deal with. We gotta be willing to get in the dirt with people. We gotta, you know how they say, you gotta smell like sheep. We gotta be willing to walk alongside people because the truth is after we become fruitful, we should have the wherewithal to roll up our sleeves and start all the way back at the beginning and find somebody who's struggling in these other areas and walk alongside them so that they can experience the freedom that you've experienced in your life. It's interesting because my wife loves gardening and every time Home Depot and Lowe's starts putting out the flowers. We have to go take a look. Let's just see what they have. Maybe there's a new species of something that we've never seen before. And you know, the weird thing is, is we can buy the same seeds as everybody else. We can buy the same plants with a little bit of fruit on it as everybody else. And yet for some reason, year after year, it does not seem like we have the same results as everybody else. And you know what the difference is? The people that are seeing success with the seeds are the ones that are do, willing to do the work in the ground to see the fruitfulness. I don't know if you know this, my wife gave this to me, that the word culture comes from the Latin word cultura, which means to till, to prepare, and to work the land. Some of us are praying, oh God, change our culture. Oh God, change the culture of this generation. Oh God, change the culture of our nation. God, change the culture of me. Well, if you wanna see a change, you gotta be willing to do the work. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. The mandate that Jesus gave us was to make disciples. Guess what? That is a continual process that doesn't end. We are constantly working with people and through people to try to help them to get to here. When I studied this scripture, I'd never seen this before. I'd never thought about this. But if you'll notice, the sower in this story continues to pour out on the thorns, on the fruitful place, on the rocks, on the path. Without measure, we serve a God who is generous because he knows, hey, the, might be a small one, but there's a chance. Even among the thorns, something can grow. There's a chance. Even among the rocks, something can grow. There's a chance. Even among the birds, something can grow. And you know, I never realized this before, but every single ounce of soil and every single one of these is the exact same. The only thing that's different is what's mixed in with it. The way that they would cultivate the land back then isn't the way that we would do it today. Today we think about it and we think, okay, we go out and we work the ground and then we plant the seeds. But back then they would plant the seeds and then they would plow the ground. So whatever was in that ground got plowed in with the seed. 
And I just wonder if we got to the place where we didn't get satisfied with just seeing us come to a place of fruitfulness. What if we got hungry to walk other people through the process to get them to a place where they can see God do something in their lives? It's messy, it's dirty, it's not easy, but it's the command that Jesus gave to us. What if instead of judging this social media generation and getting angry at them because they don't understand and they question everything we've been doing for years, what if instead of letting the birds come in and snatch those words away, what if we acted like watchmen on the wall and we began to engage every one of their questions and every one of their concerns and taught them that it's okay to have doubts, but you can have the faith to get through it. My oldest daughter is getting ready to go into middle school and is one of the scariest thoughts in my mind because of the nonsense and the junk that I know she's gonna encounter when I'm not with her. And she's already started asking me questions because I got news for everybody in this room. There are a lot of faiths doing a lot better job of training up their kids the way that they should go. And I know that I can't protect her from everything, but every time she has a question, I begin to engage. I may not have all the answers, but we're gonna work it out together because I don't wanna ever see the enemy or give him an opportunity to steal what God's planted on the inside of her. What if instead of watching people when they come into church and seeing pain and hurt, what if instead of acting like we all got it together, let's be real, we all like to come in and smile. We don't want people to know what's going on. We're supposed to be the church. I should be able to come to you and tell you when I'm hurting and when I'm in pain. But for many of us, the response when we see this, I'll pray for you, love you, praying for you, send. And you know, you ain't praying for nobody. What if instead of just saying, I'll pray for them, what if I began to walk alongside them dealing with every worry, every care, every hardship, every burden, one stone at a time, telling them every time it hurts, pick up the phone and call me. Every time you're in despair, you got my number. What if we started doing the work that Jesus did when he walked alongside his disciples? And then here's the tough one, dealing with the sin, because we'd rather ignore it. It's too controversial, might get us canceled, might make somebody offended, might make somebody upset. In my backyard, I have a gardening place with some bushes and some weeds started sprouting up. So I went in there and pulled the weeds, threw them in the, in the flower bed, and covered it with mulch. And when I came out this year to look at where the bushes and stuff were, all of those weeds had overgrown and taken over the entire space because I didn't deal with it. I just tried to cover it up. And I believe that if we're gonna see a generation changed, 
for Jesus, we're gonna have to start doing some work. And I'm, listen, let me tell you something. This does not mean discipleship is not taking the Bible, this heavy book, and smacking it upside people's heads. Because I have found that sin cuts and so does religion. I'm not telling you to judge people. If I minister to somebody, I minister from the place of brokenness, not from the place of togetherness. But I'm telling you right now, if we're gonna win this generation, we're gonna have to start confronting some of these sin issues that we have ignored and acted like they don't matter. And maybe if we just don't say anything, it'll go away. Eternities are at stake. And if we'll begin to do the work, we're gonna start to see revival and fruitfulness take place in this city, in this community, in our nation and in the world. But it starts with us being willing to get dirty and do the work. Everyone standing with me, I'm finished, I'm done. I've gone too long, stand up with me. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come forward. We have people every week that stand up here in the front. I do it sometimes and hey, if you need prayer, come on. And everybody books it out of here as fast as they can. I'm telling you that if you find your, yourself today in one of these places, don't wait. No one's gonna judge you here. We got people here that love you and wanna walk alongside you, wanna pray with you. Listen, we know that we may pray for you today and that doesn't mean everything's gonna be magically better tomorrow. But for some of us, it's taking that first step and saying, Jesus, I don't understand how to get there, but I want that. I want more of you in my life. If that's you today, I don't care if it's sin, if it's worry, if it's burdens, if it's bad relationships, whatever the case may be, don't walk, run, and let some people begin to pray with you and walk alongside you. And listen, once God does that miracle work in your life, don't forget to roll up your sleeves and to start walking alongside somebody else because every empty seat in this room represents an opportunity for us to minister to somebody for Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed, let me pray for you as we finish today. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, I hope some of it made sense. Lord, I pray for every individual that's in this room. God, I know that we come into church a lot of times dealing with mess and junk and nonsense. And I pray today would be the day that we rip off the masks, that we start being the church, that we start being there for people, praying with one another, discipling one another, so that we can walk into the fullness of who you've called us to be. Not just so that we can bear fruit, but so that we can turn around and pick somebody else up out of the dirt and the situations that they're facing. Lord, I speak blessings over your people. Bring us back together as we celebrate and remember next week what your son Jesus did for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Amen.